It's not the big things that destroy relationships. It's the accumulation of small everyday things. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I'm Jay Shetty and I love getting to record these for you. I feel so grateful that you lend me your ears for a few hours every week so that we can find that inner clarity, that inner stillness, that space to reflect, to think, and to make decisions. When we're running around, when we're chasing a result, when we're caught up in the hustle and bustle and the hectic nature of our lives, we get more tired, we make poorer decisions, and then we often feel confused and constrained. But this time that we take out every week, don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. It's so powerful, this investment that you make in yourself every single week. Thank you. And make sure you thank yourself, honestly, because it takes a lot that you chose growth over some immediate gratification. You chose development over some distraction. You chose education and enlightenment over some brief entertainment. And I hope I make these entertaining too. But genuinely, just take a moment to acknowledge that. I know you're being hard on yourself. I know some of you are judging yourselves. Take a moment to recognize what incredible investments you're making in yourself. Now, today, we're talking about the six relationship mistakes we make. And these happen in love. These happen with our friends. These happen all around. And I want to speak to these six because they're often missed, skipped, forgotten, overlooked, because it's not the big things that destroy relationships. It's the accumulation of small, everyday things. When you see a relationship break down, whether it's a divorce or a breakup, a lot of the times our reactions like, oh my gosh, I didn't see that coming. I can't believe it. I thought they were really happy. And then we think, well, what could have happened all of a sudden? Like, what made that happen? The answer is never one big thing. It's lots of small, tiny things that compounded to lead to that. I saw this amazing video on social media the other day, and it looked like it was from an area with natural rock and water. And it was showing how at different years, how much a few drops of water eroded the rock. So five years, 25 years, 50 years. And you could see how in five years, the water was slightly eroding the rock. Then in 25 years, it was a bit deeper. And then in 50 years, it was deep, almost like a waterfall. And it was incredible to see how that accumulation creates impact over time. So these six things may seem insignificant. They may seem small. They may seem like, oh, it's not a big deal. And it's like, yeah, on its own, it's not a big deal. But when they're put together, they're a huge deal. And these huge deals become deal breakers, right? These small deals that get added up to become big deals become deal breakers. The first mistake we make in relationships 
is being overly critical and complaining about our partners. How many of you, be honest, raise your hands, say something critical to your partner on a monthly basis? Keep your hand up if you say something critical about them to them on a weekly basis. Now you look really weird because you're walking around with your hand up, but it's okay, you're listening to my podcast, you can tell people that. (laughs) Keep your hand up if you say something critical to your partner every day. Maybe it's like, well, you never get the dishes done. You always leave this out. That's a complaint, but often it's followed up with some criticism. And there's a difference between criticism and complaining. Nagging your partner if they're making a mistake, there's better ways of going about it, but that's not criticism. Criticism is when you say, you're so unorganized. You're so late all the time. You're such a distracted person. Notice how there's a difference between saying, hey, the dishes are left out versus you're always distracted. You're always looking for the easy way out. A criticism is when you are talking about that person and there is no distinction between that person and the issue. You're saying that's who they are, not that's what they do. A complaint is when it's like, I'm complaining because I don't like this. Criticism is, I don't like this about you. Notice the difference between I don't like this versus I don't like this about you. It's a lot harder to take when that criticism compounds. Now, this is so easy to fall into a trap of because we are not used to understanding that people are different from their traits. They existed before that trait They may let go of that trait one day and they'll still exist afterwards. And what we don't realize is that's because we don't free ourselves from recognizing we're different to our traits. For example, we say things like, I'm so unorganized. I'm the worst. I'm just always unfocused, right? We're saying, I am unfocused. I am distracted. I am unorganized. No, the truth is you've just developed unorganized habits. The truth is, you've just become used to and conditioned to be distracted. You are not distracted as an individual. You've just developed certain habits. And so, in the same way as we're tough on ourselves, we're tough on our partners. And often, the criticism that we share with our partners is somewhere being triggered from somewhere inside where we're unhappy with ourselves. The issues we notice in them are so often the issues we have within ourselves. We're upset at ourselves for being unorganized. And so when we see our partners wasting time, we clamp down on them and say, you always waste time. You're such a time waster. And deep inside, we're talking to ourselves. How many of you have had this experience? where in reality you are talking to yourself. You're talking about yourself. I know it's a hard one to stomach, but it's true. Think about the last criticism, not a complaint. Remember, complaints are normal and there are healthier ways to complain. But when we're being critical, we have to realize that we've gone down a different path. So how can we first evolve our criticism to being complaining? That's the first step. Instead of criticizing, let's complain. We can all make that step. 
instead of telling them that they're time wasters, instead of telling them that they're useless, instead of telling them that they're unfocused or unorganized or distracted, let's tell them that we don't like that this is happening. It's not the best, but it's healthier. And then let's evolve one step further where we get creative, where we get creative about scheduling opportunities to remove complaints. We get creative around dividing responsibilities so we don't need to complain. We get creative around our commitment to each other and what we expect from each other. Criticism chips away at someone. They may not say it. They may not understand it. They may not recognize it, but it chips away. As it chips away again and again and again, it slowly weakens a relationship. You may think I've only said it three times. For them, it might have tipped them over the edge. You may say, oh, I didn't mean it. You know, I'm not saying it like that. But they didn't take it like that. It's so important to recognize criticism does not fit into a long-lasting relationship. And for those of you that have been dealing with criticism, you fighting back with criticism doesn't work either. And you staying silent doesn't work either you can actually rise to be constructive and say, how can we improve this? What steps can we take to constructively make this better? What are the actions that I can take, that we can take together to construct a better environment for both of us, to make you feel better, to make you feel different? So there's another step that you can take in being constructive. So that's number one, criticism. The second is a really interesting one because sometimes it's seen as a sign of love because it's joking but this is where jokes go too far it's like sarcasm maybe it's passive aggressive comments there's that feeling of trying to hit at something and poke at something deep inside that person or important to that person and it starts as a joke right they always say there's some truth behind a joke but when you're using a joke when you're using sarcasm to communicate it because you don't want to communicate it through an adult mature conversation. How many times, again, be honest, how many times have you used a joke as a way of trying to get a point across to someone or use sarcasm like, oh yeah, that's what I expected. Or you say something like, oh yeah, oh my God, they're always late. Oh yeah, how funny. Like, you know, they, they're never on time. They never get there. And really you're laying into that person. It's really interesting because in the UK, we talk a lot about banter culture. And a lot of the times when people from the UK are joking around, I've had a lot of friends who are a bit like, wow, that's really intense. Like you guys really laid into each other. And sometimes in the UK, it feels like the more you can banter with someone, the more you actually love them. But what we find is that in a relationship, when you're in a romantic relationship with someone, yes, you should be able to laugh at yourselves. I, I highly recommend that. I think that's good. You should be able to laugh at each other, but you shouldn't be using sarcasm and jokes as a way of communicating how you actually feel about someone. The difference with your friends is you all go home at night, go to sleep, separate beds, separate homes, separate lives, and then see each other again maybe next weekend. But with your partner, you're with them every single day, and so they read into it more. They feel like it's truly about their character. They feel like it triggers another part of themselves. And often our partners get more triggered if we said something compared to if their family or their parents said something. And that's because they think you know them better. 
Your partner thinks that you see all of them and so if you feel that way, then it must be true. I really want you to take a moment to ask yourself, just for the next week, become aware of how many sarcastic jokes you make or how many passive-aggressive statements you make and it will shock you. When I did this, I was like, wow, I didn't realize I had a reaction to everything. And I started thinking to myself, okay, I really, really, really need to be careful with this because I'm pushing someone away by pushing on things about them that they may even be uncomfortable with. Because when you're close to someone, you know what they're uncomfortable about. And if you push that button, you are pushing them away. You can't hit someone where it hurts when you love them and you know them and they feel they've been vulnerable with you. And that's the biggest thing. When sarcasm relates to someone's vulnerability. If someone has been open with you and honest with you about what they're going through and what they're experiencing and now you've used that against them, that is really challenging for someone to take. We've been getting so many amazing reviews for The Daily J, my new daily guided meditation series on the Calm app. You might have heard a couple of snippets on the podcast for a few weeks. So in case you haven't had the chance to check it out, I just wanted to share this review from Caitlin, an elementary school teacher from New Jersey. Here's what she had to say. I have over nine years of experience in the American public school education system, including teaching throughout the pandemic. Over the past two years, I've seen extreme cases of anxiety in my students like never before. Many of these children have never experienced these feelings before and most are not even sure of what they are feeling. My school district has spent a great deal of time focusing on social emotional learning, SEL, through this school year. We try to teach coping skills and focus on teaching kids how to deal with their feelings and become the best version of themselves. As someone who has also been experiencing the many anxieties of the world today, I have recently downloaded the Calm app thanks to my mom. My mom and I are big fans of yours and once she heard that you will have seven minutes of Daily J each day, she encouraged me in doing this. Your meaningful ideas and meditation have quickly become part of my daily routine, so much that I've begun incorporating some of them into my SEL morning meetings with my third graders. If you've ever wanted to meditate with me, join me on the Calm app for the Daily J, a daily guided meditation where I'll help you find calm in the chaos Plant beautiful intentions for a happy, abundant life and simple steps for positive actions to get you closer to the life of your dreams. Meditate with me by going to calm.com forward slash J to get 40% off a Calm Premium membership. That's only $42 for the whole year for a daily guided meditation. Experience the Daily J only on Calm. The third one often results from some of these and... It's what we do, which is we deflect, right? We become deflective, we become defensive, where we shut down and we don't take any responsibility. There is no long-term relationship that can last in a healthy way if there isn't a healthy acceptance of responsibility. And what I find in this is that often our acceptance of responsibility is like, yeah, I did it, fine. I know I did it. All right, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm always wrong. And so it's not even said with an honest sincerity. And it's not said with an understanding of, hey, I'm not losing. I'm not weak if I made a mistake. If I accept that I made a mistake, it doesn't put me in a position of weakness. And if it does, then maybe I'm not with the right person. If they're going to use that against me every time, then that's a manipulative tactic. That doesn't sound healthy at all, right? 
So maybe the issue is not that at all. Maybe the issue is that I need to take responsibility when I've made a mistake. I then can't also point fingers and say, you take responsibility when you've made a mistake. It's not like saying, well, I took responsibility. Why didn't you? It's about saying, well, where is our responsibility in this? I think that's the other part where we almost make it a, well, you take responsibility or I take responsibility. And it's like, well, no, where is both of our responsibility in this? Maybe this was your job, but maybe it was never explained to you properly. Maybe this was part of what you do at home, but maybe you didn't understand all of it. Maybe I didn't do a good job at setting you up. And so I find that that happens a lot with responsibility, where it becomes binary, it becomes black or white, you or them, when actually it's always us. It's always us. How can we move away from you and me to us and we? That's the goal. From you and me to us and we. How can we make that switch? How can we make that switch from our language not being, well, you did this, you take responsibility, I took responsibility. No, us and we, what is our responsibility? What responsibility can we take? So that defensiveness or that deflectiveness creates issues long-term because people start to think, well, if you're never responsible for anything and you're not willing to take that responsibility, then do you actually recognize my feelings? Do you actually understand how I feel? Are you conscious of this? The next one is disconnecting or being aloof. When you argue, you just don't talk for three days. When you had some miscommunication, you don't respond to each other. That shutting down, switching off and never reconnecting is different to someone who becomes quiet to respond effectively. And this is where we have to become better at sensing and learning and understanding our partners and having conversations about this. So some people like to shut down so that they can switch off and think about it so that they can come back to it later with more stillness, more poise, more clarity. But some people just want to sweep it under the rug and not talk about it at all and disconnect from it and be aloof and not think about it. And then they go quiet and then they come back to being normal a week later. That's unhealthy. That's unhealthy because there's always one person who feels like they never got to share how they truly feel. And if they didn't get a chance to share how they feel, guess what? That's going to compound. That's going to accumulate. And then that's what you're going to experience. When we have those big arguments, you're like, where did this come from? I thought we were okay. It's because, yes, you thought you were okay, but what about them? We process everything in our head and we think, okay, well, if I processed in my head, by just forgetting about it, then they must forget about it too. Just because you're in a relationship doesn't mean you have the same mind. It doesn't mean you process things in the same way. It doesn't mean that you go through the same things at the same time. So if someone disconnects, check in with them and say, hey, when can we talk about this again? When would be a good time to discuss this? And if they say, well, not now, never, just say, well, it would be really useful for me to have a conversation about this when you're ready. Just bring it up to me. You may give them a week, a couple of weeks, but then you'll address it. But if you just feel like, oh yeah, this is what they do every time they get angry, then they go quiet for a week, but then we just talk and go back to normal. That doesn't support the long term of a healthy relationship. This one fascinated me. It was a three-year study found that divorce rates were reduced by more than half by watching movies about relationships and discussing them afterwards. 
And that's really interesting. I guess the idea that learning from others' relationships is a healthy way of processing how you want to live yours, right? When we're learning, when we're reflecting, it's not just about watching shows together, movies together. The key part was discussing the movie afterwards, discussing it, analyzing it, breaking it down. Now you may say, oh, how can you do that with a rom-com? I mean, they're, they're pretty basic. Well, no, how could you get deep into a character? There's a love story hidden in most movies. But the idea of talking about other relationships in order to figure out your own was a great way to start that conversation about your own relationship. Sometimes people are like, Jay, I don't even know how to talk to my partner about our relationship. It's great to use a movie. You watch the movie, you watch the TV show, you watch an episode, and now you can have a conversation about something that happened in the show that was a tough part. That's a great jump off point. And so I find that often we don't realize that these simple things can have a massive impact because the art of discussion engages us when we're talking about someone else we can now finally talk about how we really feel and the key there is to not get triggered by something our partner says but to really hear them out to really understand their perspective to really try and see their train of thought even if we disagree to give them the space and then engage in a discussion the challenge is that our discussions are not discussions or debates, they turn into angry arguments. And that's because one of us gets triggered. So let's say you see a movie, and let's say in the movie, the guy takes a girl out on a date and he doesn't pay. And now someone in your life saying, well, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, he shouldn't pay. You know, we're trying to get to a world of equality and that makes sense, right? Say, let's say that's their perspective. Now you may be triggered by them, be like, well, no, he should pay for the date because, you know, she said yes to him and it should be his job. Now, you could turn that into an argument or you could analyze it and understand the deeper value. And when you get to the value, you might see that you actually agree versus when you focus on how that value is displayed in that moment. That's number five. Number six is recognizing that a lot of relationships today, we get into them because we're not just looking for comfort and stability. We're looking for growth. We're looking for a partner. We're looking for someone who supports us. We're looking for someone who believes in us. Almost we're expecting our partners these days to be coaches. <laughs> and that's a lot of pressure. We shouldn't put that pressure on our partners. But, you know, I, I often feel that way when I'm coaching my clients. A lot of people will say, well, you know, like, oh, I wish my partner would think like this. And I'm like, well, that doesn't make sense because they're not trained to be a coach, so they can't. They can start thinking like that, but we shouldn't put that pressure on them right off the bat. So recognizing that your partner has their own journey, how can you help them? How can you support them? How can they help you? How can they support you? That builds a strong, powerful platform. So those are the six relationship mistakes we make. I hope you're gonna pass this on to a friend because I think a lot of people may be stumbling over some of these really simple fixes. And I hope these insights help you today. Thanks so much for listening. Share on Instagram and on TikTok and on Facebook and Twitter and whatever platform you're using, what you learned from this episode. And I can't wait to see you next week. Thank you.